Hey guys, you miss me? Yeah. <laughs> I missed you. I am so glad um, to be up here. I'm really excited. I've got to talk through a couple of things. I'm going to keep the beard for a little bit, so don't be distracted the entire time. All right? Um, and uh, the, I'll explain the t-shirt in a minute, okay? All right. Really, really, really glad you're here. Listen, we are on, we are, this is the week that you really, you're glad. Listen, if you came to church by mistake today, you're glad that you came. Because let me tell you why, we are starting a brand new series today called The Jesus I Never Knew. And what we're going to be doing is we're going to go, God forbid, God forbid that this church or any church that we plant should ever be like the American church. I just don't want that for you. I don't want that for me. I don't want Jesus to be something like a Band-Aid or something like a, a homeboy who you could call on occasion, invite over, then ask to leave and come back to next week. I, don't, I just don't want that for you. I don't want Jesus to be someone that you just punch in to visit at some anonymous uh, uh, building. I just don't want that for you. I don't want Jesus to be uh, an object or a something separated from everyday life. I want Jesus to be what he is in your life. Now, if you've ever come to any one of our series, right, this is going to be like, we haven't even figured out how many weeks this is going to be. It might be six, eight, might be 12, I don't know. But um, when we do a series in the church, usually most sermons go like this, right? So you come and you hear a sermon and you hear the introduction, you hear the three or four points and then the conclusion and you go home and you have those three or four points and that's the way it is. That's not how we do series in this church. In this church, what we do is we have uh, just one big idea um, every week and if you come each week, it's almost like getting a chapter in the book. And so you come for the entire series and you get a chapter in the series until the entire series is like sort of the book and then you got an, the idea of what we're talking about, right? And so this week, if you're coming for the series and this is your first time here, welcome. We absolutely love you. We're grateful that you're here. Hey, yeah, absolutely. We're grateful that you're here. I'm glad that you're here. Smile a little bit more. You're in church. It's okay. Uh, we're not going not gonna to attack you, but um, I'm glad that you're here. And what you're going to get today is sort of the introduction. And you're going to go, but wait up. I don't get it. Like, you know, it, it feels like there's some things that are not answered. This feels like a, you got it. You're, you're on track. If you feel that way at the end of the service, you are on track. It's not going to make complete sense all completely until you come to the entire series. And, but I'm going to try to make as much sense today as possible. Now, before we get into the text... Before we go any further, I want to pray for you and for me as well. Can I do that? Is that okay? Let's do that. Father, you are a holy, holy, holy God who deserves every bit of our passion and energy and affection and devotion, who deserves every bit of our thoughts and our lives, our comings and our goings, our wills and our desires, you deserve every bit of who we are. Lord, we don't deserve you. 
we don't merit you. There's nothing that we've ever done that could ever make us worthy of you. But there's something that you did. Something you did that made us worthy. It was your sacrifice, your love, your forgiveness, your great, great giving of yourself. And so, Father, I thank you that the tomb is empty and there's a story to tell. I thank you, oh God, that we can come in here with our marital problems, our ch children problems, our family problems, our relational problems, our work problems, our financial problems, and that you come and meet us at the point of our need. And Lord, help us to recognize that you are the biggest need that we have. We have need of you in every area and every moment, every hour of our lives. Father, I pray that every person here would be drawn closer to yourself, that we would go beyond you just being a homeboy to you being King, God, Lord, Savior, everything to us. Lord, draw us to yourself, Lord. I know that there are th those here who came in and just fought the whole way here. And they just argued. And Lord, they're just thinking about ways of getting back to each other. Lord, would you just be a reconciler to them? And Father, there are those who are here who are just so beaten and broken. Lord, would you be a healer to them? Lord, there are those here who have lost all hope. Lord, would you be hope to them? Be who you are. Help us to see you. Help us to see Jesus and him only. Lord, forgive us our sins. Forgive the one who teaches his sins, for they are many. And Lord, that we would only and ever see Jesus. For we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, when I was a kid growing up, I had an idea of Jesus, right? When I was growing up, I had an idea. Now, you have to understand, my, the Jesus that I grew up with, um, my mother would send me to a church. I wonder if you guys had any kind of experience. Did you have parents that would not go to church but would send you to church? Is that, am I the only guy? Right, yeah, there's a bunch of, now there's a bunch of you who had parents that went to church and you're blessed and that's great. And, and that's one of, that just wasn't my story. And so it was like, you know, I had um, parents that wouldn't go to church but would send me to church, right? And so nobody ever checked out the insane asylum that they sent me to, right? It was an insane asylum. I'm not kidding. So I would go to the church, right? And, and, and it was insane asylum is the only way I can describe it. And they were crazy. And you wouldn't want to be friends with any of them. And I remember my first thought is that Jesus makes you crazy. That was my first thought about, uh, that was my first introduction to Jesus. Jesus makes you crazy. Now, a couple of years after that, I heard something that um, someone said that made me think that Jesus is after me, that he's, he's going to get me, that because of my sin, because of my uh, uh, well, iniquity, sin, because of my lawlessness and disobedience to Jesus, he was going to get me. Jesus had a big old sledgehammer, right? 
And just waiting for me to make a mistake. Some of you still believe Jesus. Some of you grew up in church and go to church still and still believe Jesus in just this way. In fact, you believe Jesus this way so much that every time you make a mistake, you can't pray because you think he's against you now. Right? Well, so this is the way I thought. So Jesus had this big old sledgehammer, just waiting, wait. He goes, and I could just see him telling the angels, like the angels would want to talk to him, and Lord, Lord, and he would go, shh, shh, I think he's going to make a mistake right now. And just wait to just nail me. That's, that, that's, these are the ideas and the images and the types of Jesus's that I grew up with. Now, when I thought that Jesus makes you crazy, I didn't want to grow close to that Jesus because I had enough insanity. I don't know some of y'all, how some of y'all grew up. I grew up in a pretty crazy household, right? Like it was pretty good, good and dysfunctional. And so um, I thought that Jesus would just make you more crazy. So I, I, I wasn't attracted to that Jesus. I didn't want to give my life. I didn't want to surrender everything to that Jesus. I wanted to, I wanted to avoid that Jesus. Right? And then when I found out that, uh, and when I got the impression, rather, that Jesus was after me, I got antagonistic towards Jesus. I would fight against Jesus. Not only did, now, when I thought he was crazy, I just didn't want to hang out with him. Sort of like, you know, how you hang out with certain people, right? And then you go, no, I'm not hanging out with them no more. So you avoid them. But and then there's other people that are like enemies, Right? And so with Jesus, he was like an enemy. He was like an adversary. And so when I thought that he was just this guy with this hammer, I was just like, you know what? I'm going to live my life so contrary to Jesus that I'm just going to, I'm just going to, if I'm going to go to hell, I'm going to go to hell on a greased pole. I'm going to, I mean, I'm going to do it in style. I'm going to go quickly. I'm going to go, you know what I mean? And so that was just both ideas drew me away from Jesus because it was the Jesus that I knew. And the Jesus that I knew wasn't representative, wasn't a representative of the Jesus that was. Listen, you and I right now have mental models about Jesus. Some of us, some of us, we, you, know, you know, some of you just kind of can relate to me and you, you know, you think, well, Jesus is like this wrathful God or, or Jesus is this, uh, uh, you know, sort of makes you crazy, makes you do silly things. You don't want to get too close. You might check in with him sometimes, but you don't want to get too fanatical, right, because it'll drive you crazy and all that. You, you want to get a little bit of Jesus in your relationship, but you don't want too much of Jesus because, God forbid, then, he, you know, he'll make you do something crazy, and you don't want to be like the crazy person at the cubicle next to you, right, who plays the Christian music and all that other stuff, right? That might be you. Okay, so, um, the, so but the way, here's the point. The way you view Jesus will determine the type of relationship that you have with him. Isn't it true that the way you view your spouse determines the kind of intimacy that you have? Listen, I know I'm not, and I'm probably the only one who had really, really rough patches in my marriage, right? All of y'all have perfect marriages, and there's nothing ever that goes wrong in your relationships. I'm different, right? I had some, listen, I had some rough patches in my marriage where I, I would prefer to, I literally remember getting a job where I worked over 100 hours a week. You know how many hours there are in a week? It's like 168 hours. 
work like 103 hours a week. Imagine punching in. That's not travel time. That's like, you, don't, you know what you do when you work 103 hours a week? You don't bathe. You don't eat. You don't go home sometimes. You just work. You know why? Because my wife, the way I viewed her, was like this person who would pick and nag. And she, you, you get what I'm saying, right? So what do you think happened to the relationship when I viewed my wife that way? Drifted apart. I found other things to do. My wife thought that I was abusive and, and, and just, so every time I came home, she would go, she'd just have an excuse to go out with the kids, right? Why? Why? Because the way you view someone affects the way you relate to them. The way you see someone affects. If you think someone's crazy, you stay away from that person. If you think somebody's dangerous, you stay away from that person. If you think somebody loves you and wants to nurture you, my kids, right, there's this, this, this guy that I love with all my heart, and, and just continue to pray for him, praying for him. George, right? And, jo uh, you know, George is amazing. In <laughs> Ever since my son was old enough to walk, um, anytime he saw my son, he would give my son a dollar. Every time he saw my son, two, three, four, five, fifteen, didn't matter. He would give my son a dollar. Now, my son doesn't walk to anybody. But whenever he would see George, he'd get very happy. And he'd smile. Because dollar didn't mean a whole lot to him, but he knew it translated to some treat. Right? Tre treats meant a lot to him. So my son would go, George. And he would run to him, 16 years old, George. You know, run to him. It was just like one of those deals. Why? Because his, the way he viewed him was, he's just a giver, a blesser. A okay. Because why? Why? Because the way you view someone determines the type of relationship you're going to have. Now, all of us, I'm not the only one with views about Jesus. This works especially true when we're talking about Jesus. And I'm not the only one. You and I, everyone here, whether you've been in church for decades or you've been in church for minutes, you have a view of Jesus that, if not correct, will inhibit your relationship with him. And if correct, will free you and liberate you in such a way that you'll live life, like Jesus said, to the full. Now, some of the views that we have about Jesus, there, there's tons of them. I mean, for as many people as they are, that's how many views we have about Jesus. But there's one, uh, I'll just name a few of them, right? There's like the ibuprofen Jesus, right? Some of you know Jesus, and he's your ibuprofen Jesus, right? You are, you're hurting, and he's supposed to take the pain away. In fact, it's his job. If you hurt, whatever pain, from paper cut to cancer diagnosis, Jesus is supposed to take your pain away. And so you only go to him like a doctor when you're ill, when things are going wrong, when the, you know, he's the ibuprofen Jesus. He'll take the pain away. I know, it's like your favorite song because he's the ibuprofen. It's a good song. I like it. I cry when I hear it too. But I'm saying that this Jesus is the ibuprofen Jesus and this is the one, this is what his main job is to be for your life. There's another view of Jesus. There's the cops, Jesus, right? It's bad boy, bad boy. What you gonna do? What you gonna do when he comes for you, right? And so this cops, he's gonna, 
He's just out to get you. He's out to ruin your good time. In fact, you just came today. The reason you came is because you just want to shut up your cousin, your aunt, your friend, your coworker. You just, you just want to shut them up so that they don't invite you. All right, I'll go this once to church. And, you know, right, because why? And you say things like this, right? You go, I can't go to church because what? The building would fall on me if I came to church, right? Like if I came to church, right? I know I'm not the only one who's ever thought like this, right? And so you think, oh, if I come to church, bad things are going to happen. You know, I'm going to get struck down with a lightning bolt. That's, that's the kind of deal that's going to happen. And that's the cops, Jesus. And you're like, oh, stop saying Jesus. It's too much, you know, and all that stuff, right? And, and now there's others of you who have a different view of Jesus. It's the handyman Jesus, it's the handyman Jesus. Now, this Jesus is supposed to run around in every place of your life, running behind you, fixing everything you mess up. Right? Now, all right? So you have sex with the dude. Now, never mind that part of the Bible that says sex is for married people only, right? You have sex with the dude, and it's not then that you go, oh, Jesus, let me stay pure. No, 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 no. It's when you got that little $13 thing, and you go, you go oh, let it be a negative. Let it be a negative. Oh, Jesus. Let it be a negative, right? Or you call your girlfriend up and you go, oh, God, let it be a negative. Let it be a negative, right? I'm not ready, right? I'm not, I'm not ready to marry this one. This is not the person I want to marry. It's which I would say, then why did you have sex? <laughs> right? And this is the handyman, Jesus, right? You blow your money. You absolutely spend it on silly living. Right? I mean, you just use your credit. You know, God, Jesus is not your God, MasterCard or American Expresses, and you know, whatever you want, that's what you kind of do, right? And so, you, you, that's your God, right? And so, you blow it, you're in like $30,000 a day, you bought stuff you didn't need to impress people you didn't know. <laughs> and, so, and so, what happens is, is that Jesus is your Mr. Fix-It, and so what you, here's what you do, and if you're really religious, we have a way to do this, okay? Now, if you're, if you're religious now, I, okay, if you're not religious, you won't understand this, but if you are religious, you will, right? So what you say is you've blown your finances so bad, and you're so deeply in debt, I know what I'll do. I'll start to tithe, because and then Jesus will just bless my finances, Right? Just blast, blast, blast all over the place. It's like little sprinkly trickle dust, right, on all of your finances. And all of a sudden, you go into your pocket, and there's a 20. Jesus! And then you walk down the street, and there's a $100 bill. And you go, you see? And so Jesus is your handyman. He walks behind you, and he just fixes all your problems. And that's, and that's your view of God. And so since that's the view of God, all you call Jesus is when you have a problem. That's the only time you call on Jesus. You see, why, why, why? Listen, 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 this is important. Because how you view Jesus will determine how you relate to him. How you view Jesus will determine what your relationship is like. How you view Jesus will determine your closest, your proximity, or your far away. It's how you view Jesus. So we're going to take a bunch of weeks to talk about who Jesus is and how he works through and in our lives and what kind of majesty he deserves and what kind of glory he merits. We're going to take a bunch of weeks, of which this is the first. Now, the, how we view Jesus is not a new idea or a new question. It's not one I came up with. It's one that Jesus came up with. You have to beg. You know, if, if somebody asks a question... Have you, has anybody ever asked you a question that you didn't understand and you just said, what was your response? Is, 
why you ask, right? You know, why do you, have you, is that only me? Like, you know, somebody asks you a question and you go, why are you asking? We have to ask ourselves this question about the question that Jesus asks. Now, I want you to go into your Bibles, and um, if you're new, if you're new, um, and you didn't bring your Bible, listen, we thought about you, we love you, we have a, um, we have a uh, sermon map that has the scriptures that we're going to be going through right there inside your bulletin, and um, if that font isn't big enough, we'll have it on the screen, and so you could follow along, and, um, and we'll go from there. But we're going to go to uh, a, a great passage in Matthew chapter 16, verses, and, and I'm just going to tell I'll tell you the verses in a second, because some of you are overachievers, and you're already reading it because you have the sermon map. So look up at me. I actually need your attention for a few more minutes before we get to the text. Okay. Now watch this. This text is incredible. Jesus is doing ministry. He's been around for a while. This is late in Jesus' ministry. He has healed. He has loved. He has drawn to himself. He has gathered uh, um, uh, a group of people. He has wooed people to love God. He's just, he's done incredible things in his ministry. And in the middle of this ministry, this incredibly busy ministry where he's healing, proclaiming the word of the Lord, where he's telling people to repent from their sins and draw unto him, where he's asking, calling for people to actually worship him. That's wild, right? We'll talk about that in a second. This Jesus asks a really, really interesting question. Now, it's in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. You can all follow along. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, it was a region that he was walking through, he asked his disciples, who do, you, who do people say the Son of Man is. Look up at me. Listen to me. Jesus is walking with his disciples, gets to a particular place, and asks his disciples. Now, listen, let me tell you who he's not asking. He's not asking people who have never heard of him. He's not asking people who have never interacted with him. He's asking his what? Disciples. He's asking his disciples. These are the, who do you say that I am? Because in America, we have this sort of idea where, that we're like, you know, spiritual. And that's a, like, I, I, you know, I'm just recently getting on Twitter. And if you want to, you know, like, if you want to be my Twitter friend, I'll, I'll tell you the little silly things that I do on Twitter. I just, you know, but people want that. So, okay, so Twitter or Facebook. And I look at religion. Even people in this church, they go, spiritual, religion, spiritual. I just wonder about that. I was like, what does that mean? What on earth does that mean? spiritual, spiritual, right? Because we have this idea that somehow being connected with God is different from being connected with Jesus. And I just, I just want to clear this up. It's, it's just the farthest thing from the truth. You cannot be connected with God. You, got, you want to be spiritual, love Jesus. You want to be spiritual, obey Jesus. You want to be spiritual, live for Jesus. That's, okay, so... So Jesus goes to these guys who have known him, who have loved him, who have been with him, who have walked with him, who have uh, ministered and seen his miracles and seen the incredible things that he's done and, and glorified him for, for the incredible things that he's done. He says, and he goes, the first question he's asked, so listen, 
I've been around, I've been doing a bunch of stuff. There's a buzz about me. What are, what are folks talking about me? Because you hear, right? And their response is really interesting. Listen to what they say. And they said, that means the group collectively said, the disciples said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So let's look at this response, right? Because this is very similar to the kind of response that many people give. Now, some say Elijah. Now, why is this important? Because, uh, I'm sorry, let's go, let's start first with John the Baptist. Some say John the Baptist, right? Now, why was this important? John, the reason that this is important is because Antipas, um, the herald of the time, he, he said, oh my gosh, this must be John the Baptist come up from the dead, like a sort of a reincarnation of John the Baptist, right? Now, it's goofy. The, the reincarnation can't be found in the Bible. Like, it just, you have to invent that outside of the Bible. It was goofy. It was silly. It made no sense, but it was because he was an influential person and because he had some authority, he said it within an earshot of a few people and they just took it and ran with it. And it kind of started going around. That he was a, now, this happens today, where people walk around and say the silliest things about Jesus, the most foolish things about Jesus. And they say, and they say, oh, you know, I mean, they'll say anything. He's one among many. Jehovah Witnesses will tell you that he's one, uh, he's an archangel, Michael. Now, you can't find that in the Bible. Like, you have, to, you have to take verses from here and verses from there and verses from here and say, well, I guess this means this. Uh, I remember uh, uh, this, I, I was listening to this pastor, and he said that he had a Jehovah Witness come to his house. And he said, uh, he said uh, you know, hey, do you mind uh, if uh, we tell you about, uh, you know, God and Jesus? And he goes, no, I think what you're doing is horrible. I think what you're doing is terrible. Why, they responded, and he said this. He said, listen, because what you're doing is you're defaming my God. And he goes, no, no, no. We believe he's a God with a small g, meaning the archangel Michael. And he goes, no, 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 you don't. You, don't, you, you know what you believe? You believe that Jesus is just one of the archangels. And they go, no, you don't. We believe that he's the archangel, you know, God with a small g. And he goes, and he takes him to the, um, he takes him to the book of Daniel. And there's a verse in the book of Daniel that says, Michael, one of the archangels. And I love when he was sharing this story about his, the response of the Jehovah Witness. He said this. He said, I never saw that in there. Of course you didn't. Because you weren't reading the Bible. You were listening to what other people were telling you. You were listening to what Antipas was telling you. And you got false ideas about this Jesus. Listen, some of you just grew up in negative situations. Maybe in church and you saw a bunch of hypocrisy and your little friends told you, whispered in your ear, yeah, Jesus is a phony, Jesus is a fake, Jesus is not real. And you're like 50 years old and you're still running with that report. It's just like, wow. I mean, that's, that's a long time to run with a false report. You know, so some say he's this silly, uh, 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 silly thing that this Herod said. Some say you're like that. Well, okay. Well, what do others say? Well, some others say you're like Elijah. Now, this is a little bit more religious, a little bit more biblical. Elijah, 
Elijah was supposed to come before the Messiah comes and makes all things new, right? In fact, Revelation speaks about Elijah coming and, you know, before Jesus comes. So it's still going to happen. So it's, it's cool. It's biblical. But they're saying, well, you're the one who comes before the guy, right? Before the real guy, right? I remember my um, kids were watching this movie. The, um, did, anybody, uh, did anybody see this movie? It was uh, um, Spy Kids 3, I think it was, 3D, right? And there was, a, there, there was in the, you know, they got sucked into this game, right, right? And then they, what, you remember what they did? They, they were looking for the guy, right? It's the guy, right? And he's supposed to save them and save the game and save everything. And then he got fried in the first five seconds of them meeting him, right? And he wasn't the guy, right? And so, Jesus, you're the guy before the guy. You're the, you're the one who comes before. You're sort of like a John the Baptist, a forerunner, you know what I mean? You're like a, 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 a you come before. And, and you know, people still think of this today. Is Muslims will tell you Jesus was just a prophet, just like Elijah. Just, I mean, just like, yeah, Jeremiah, Elijah, and the prophets of old. Perhaps they even say he was one of the greatest prophets, maybe not above Muhammad. But surely one of the greatest prophets. I mean, you know, big, big time. But not God, not who he said he was. And we still get this today. We still get this, that Jesus is this. Listen to me, listen to me. Jesus could not have been a prophet or a good teacher saying the things that he said. Does this make sense? In other words, no, no prophet or good, like, you would not consider a person a prophet or a good teacher who came up, or, or, let me give you an example, right? Like if I came up to you and I said, hey, listen, I'm a good teacher. Some of you would buy it and you've been listening to me for like 15 minutes, so some of you would go like, I don't think so. And um, I still don't get where you're going. We're getting there. And so um, some of you would say yeah, some of you would say no, but either way, either way, you would go, okay, yes, maybe no, maybe you'll take it at face value, give me a chance, whatever, right? You would make a decision on that, and that would be yay or nay. Now watch this. What if I came up to you? What if I came up to you, and I said, I'm God. Worship me. Would you leave here going, you know, Edwin's just a good teacher. I mean, I'm not sure if I buy that whole God thing, but he's just a good teacher. You wouldn't leave. If I came up to you and I said, now, if I came up to your cubicle, right, in my Jesus is my homeboy t-shirt, right, and I said, I'm God, listen, I'm God, now worship me, worship, bow down, you would freak out, you'd call security on me, right, why, because good teachers, prophets don't say things like that, it's preposterous, you know what that is, you know what that is, that's condescending nonsense, that people who don't want to dedicate to Jesus say, I was the same way. I didn't want to dedicate my life to Jesus. I could say, ah, he was a good guy. He was, a, he was an okay guy, but he wasn't God, right? Well, Jesus never left that option open to us. So, so, so what does that leave? That leaves, and, and the next one, I really can't explain. I, I've never figured out why they said, oh, uh, and others are Jeremiah or one of the prophets. There's nothing in the Bible that says Jeremiah is coming. So I didn't know what religion, it's just like, you know, talk, I guess, that people were um, saying in those times. Listen, 
Jesus is either who he said he was, God in the flesh, or he's a crazy person on par with the person who's in the funny farm who thinks he's a poached egg or Napoleon. He's either a crazy person or he's a, a liar or he's God and should be worshipped. But those are the only three options you got. Those are the only three options he left you. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to pare that down. I'm going to shave that down a bit. But I want, you to, I want you to see that there's only those three choices. Now, after he asks, what does everybody else say? Listen to what Jesus asks. He turns the, the conversation from what others are saying to what they think. Verse 15. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Now, look up at here. The problem, there, there, here's, here's the one issue that I have with the Bible. Now, I love the Bible. I believe the Bible from, like, Genesis to maps. I believe everything in it. It's, I love the Bible. It is the word of God. It's inspired by God. It's, it's, okay, so don't misunderstand me, but here's what I'm saying. The problem when we read the Bible, I should say, the problem when we read the Bible is that, like, the, this sentence is followed by this sentence with no space in between. Sometimes I wish there was, like, you know, you could wait. Because, like, you know, we'll read something in the Bible. I think that when he asked this question, there was like this sort of, you know, hearing crickets off in the distance. There was like a silence. Who do you say that I am? Notice, notice that they all came out. Oh, you know, someone said this, someone said that. You know, they're all coming up with ideas, right? Now, who do you say that I am? I don't know. I'm not sure. And after this silence, after this uncomfortable moment, no mood music, nothing to make you feel comfortable with the time, none of that, he came up with this. Peter, Simon Peter replied, so he's like the brave one, right? He's like the brave one. And he says what they've been thinking, but they weren't just afraid. I mean, like, honestly, how scary is this? Like, I don't know, you're, you're more than a man, but I don't know. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ. That's the first thing that he says. The son of the living God. That's the second thing that he says. And Jesus answered him. What are you nuts? Don't say that. That's blasphemous. Don't say that. Jesus did not respond that way. Listen to Jesus' response. Again, if you're a good teacher, you don't respond this way. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, or Simon son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. This is priceless. Listen to me. Jesus responds in affirmation. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to describe these two things that um, Peter said, because they're significant. If you understand this, you'll be very, very far along in your understanding of Jesus. You'll be way ahead of the curve on this series. Now, watch this. He said, you are the Christ. Now, this is 
Now, you're going to have to, this is a silly floaty thing, okay? T tied with a yellow rope that we got at like the 99 cent store, right? Okay? But I want you to just kind of use your imagination with me. This is like those lifeguard things that they throw out to you, okay? What do you call those lifeguard thingies? I never got the name of them. Maturage. What? What? Life preservers, right? Or something like that, right? Great. Now, so Jesus, he says, Jesus, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. Why is this important? Because the Christ was coming to save. The Christ was coming to make wrong things right. The Christ was coming to free and to liberate. You can understand the emotion behind this. Have you ever been in such bondage that all you wanted was freedom and liberty? Have you ever been like locked in the wrong relationship? You knew it was the wrong relationship, but you couldn't get out of it because it was just like you were all caught up in it and you just wanted somebody to help save you from the relationship. Have you ever been like in a situation where your kids were really, really sick and you just wanted somebody to save your kid from this terrible, have you, has you ever, has your spouse ever been in a situation where you just didn't know if they were going to live and die and you were just like, I, if, if I ever needed a savior now, have you ever like been afraid that you're going to lose your job and you go, oh God, don't let that pink slip come today. You are the Messiah, the Mashiach, the Christ. You are the Savior. You're, you are the Savior. You're the one who's come to all of our woes. Now, you got to understand, these are, these are children of Israel. These are Jewish boys who are longing. You know what their life is like for them? They're oppressed by the power and the authority of that day. They're, they're, they're under the thumb. They, if anybody wants to be free, it's them. If anybody understood the emotional impact of a savior, it's them. Some of you are caught in sins that you wish you could say no to. In fact, every other week you make a recommitment to Jesus. I'm not going to watch that on the internet anymore. I'm not going to speak that way to her, him or her anymore. I'm not going to, I'm going to, I'm going to turn a new leaf. And what you need is a save your, someone who'll see you and just throw it out. I come to save you. Someone who'll see the agony that you're going through and say, there's help on the way. And I know some of you, it just, it just makes tears roll down your eyes because you just, you don't see a way out. And you just need somebody to save you. You need to save your, you are the Christ. And the first clue, if we're going to see Jesus clearly, if we're going to know Jesus intimately, is that we have to see him as Savior, as the one who can save us from our greatest needs, from our greatest woes, from our greatest pains. What's your greatest need? Listen to me. Let me share with you what your greatest need is. Your greatest need is to be intimately, kissy-kissy, close to God. That's your greatest need. You might not think that. I understand. I understand. Because, you know, you think that you're God. And, and you think that you can handle it. 
And, and whenever anybody comes up to me and just says, you know what, I don't need God. I got everything under control. My first knee-jerk question is, so how's that working for you? <laughs> just, just my first knee-jerk reaction. Just, listen, listen. We've all been alive long enough. Listen, if you're older than eight, you've been alive long enough to know that whatever solutions in life are going to come, it's not going to come from you. Like, you might just have to grin and bear some stuff, but you're not the savior. You need savior. And it's the toughest thing. You know, it's funny, because in the world that we live in, you wouldn't think that you'd have to convince people that they need a savior. Right? Has anybody looked at the news? Have you ever, like, looked at the news and said, Woo! God is great! And look at all the peace on the world! Have you ever, like, read the New York Times and walked away from there and going, Wow, there is, like, nothing problematic in the world. Everything is perfect. Have you ever, like, done that? The world is messed up. And I got to imagine that there's some areas in your life that are messed up. But listen to me, more than that, you need saving. Because watch this, in the end, in the end, everybody gets what they want. Those who want Jesus will have an eternity with Jesus. You know what we call that? Heaven. And in the end, those who don't want Jesus get exactly what they want, an eternity away from Jesus. You know what we call that? Hell. And so Jesus goes, I love you. I don't want you to be separated from me. I'll do anything. I'll just, listen, catch. Listen, just take, listen, I died on the cross for you. I come, listen, I come for you. I come for you. I didn't come a couple of hundred miles or a couple of thousand miles. Listen, I just, would you just take? And people are just like floundering in the ocean, going, I don't need no saving. Saving? I don't need no stinking saving. But the first thing that Peter says in his confession about Jesus is that he's your savior that he's come to rid you of this, your greatest problem, which is your divorce from God. And by the way, God did not file those papers. That was us. That was us. It's just, listen, why aren't you tired? Aren't you, don't you need Jesus? Haven't you realized that by now? Jesus has come as a savior. And if we're going to understand Jesus, we need to know, A, we need saving. You need saving. I need saving. We're going to talk about that in a second, a little bit more. Second thing that G, uh, Peter says, you are the Christ, the Savior, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Listen to me. When he said that he was the Son of the living God, he was equating Jesus with God. Now, we have a 21st, men 21st century mentality that says, well, oh, son of God, that means that Jesus is less than God. No, 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 no. If you were son of God, that title, this is why they wanted to stone him whenever he mentioned that he was the son of God. Are you the Christ, the son of God? They asked him. And Jesus says, it is as you say. And at that point, they stopped the court proceedings. They said, why do we have to hear this? It's blasphemy. You know what blasphemy is? Putting yourself in place of God. So Peter said, you're the king. You're the creator of all. You're the maker and sustainer of the universe. You are. Now this is tough. Like, I don't know. 
what kind of relationship we got to have. Like, all right, what do I have to do in order for you to consider me God? All right, like, what do I got to do in your life, right? Quite a bit, wouldn't you say? Right, like, I mean, you know, <laughs> okay sermon and all of that, but you ain't God, right? Like, we can, we can all agree on that, right? Jesus, uh, Peter had spent years with Jesus. And the only thing he could come up with was Mashiach, Christ, Savior, God. God. Now, the problem, now all of us, to some degree, want a Savior. Don't you? Isn't it true? You want to at least, I mean, even if you don't want a Savior for your soul, you want a Savior for life's pitfalls and difficulties. Like, even if, even if you don't believe that's true, don't you want that to be true? Don't you want it to be true that God is personal and will save and will come across and will be your help and, and, will, and will be your uh, savior and save you from the time of trouble? Don't you want that to be your story? Like, don't you, don't you just want that to be true? If, if some of us at least want that to be true, very few of us want him to be God, to be the law, to be authority, to be ruler and boss in our lives. Very few want that. You know why? Now, it's because we have other gods. We're idolaters. You know what Martin Luther said? Martin Luther, like 500 years ago, not Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King was a cool guy, but Martin Luther was a part of the Reformation, and he got his name from Martin Luther, right? Okay, so cool. Martin Luther, 500 years ago, said this. He said, the heart is an idol factory. Isn't that a good statement? Because we just find a good thing, boyfriend, kid, job, money, aspirations, hopes, dreams, desires. We find a good thing, nothing wrong with any of those things, and we change them into God things. It's, now, two of the biggest gods you're going to have to overcome before you, you, you allow God to be God in your life is to be rid of the false gods in your life. And God will do that for you. Now, I have a, a, a friend who's going to help me up. Everybody, welcome Glenda. She's been walking around with a beautiful crown on her head. Glenda, yay. Glenda. Now, Glenda's going to come up here. Now, the first god that we're going to have to see as a false god is the god, the king of Happiness. Everybody say this with me. Happiness. Watch this. This is such a God to some of you that you're willing to give Jesus two weeks of try so long as he draws you closer to your real God. You'll be Christ-centered insofar as Jesus helps you to get a little bit closer to your real God. Happiness. This is why you come to church for four weeks and then you leave because Jesus didn't row the boat fast enough to your real God. Anybody know what that is? Happiness. Right. And so if Jesus doesn't perform, if you, again, Jesus is not God. Jesus is just a boat, a train, a car, a vehicle, a plane, a way to get to your real God, whom you, by the way, 
devote your finances, your time, your energy, your strength. You devote everything to this God because this God really gives you what you want. In fact, you believe the lie where it's nowhere found in the Bible that God is supposed to make you craziness, insanity. This is your God, and as long as happiness is your God, then Jesus, you'll only be close to Jesus insofar as he gets you to your real God. So if Jesus rows the boat fast enough and he gets you to happiness, you could be with Jesus for two, three, four, five years. And then something will happen. Jesus will intentionally pull the rug out from under you. Jesus will allow everything to collapse. And your real God will show at that time. You'll say, I served the Lord for four years, and then my husband walked out on me. So I could Now, what does your husband walking out on you have anything to do with you worshiping Jesus? Not a blessed thing, unless, unless Jesus was supposed to make you happy. See, Jesus, listen, listen to me. Jesus is not God for you. Jesus is an usher to direct you and bring you to where you really want to go. And so, listen to me. And so if it's a question whether I'm going to go to church or not, you have a question, right? Especially during the summertime, because what will make you more happy? The beach. That will make me more happy. And so it's not about worshiping the Lord. It's not about giving God praise. It's not about giving God your worship. It's about worshiping the real king. Everybody say it with me. Happiness. Now, you would never say that. But you look at your life and you go, oh, I think that's true. In fact, Jesus, this might be your last week at church because you said, you know, Jesus is just not rowing the boat fast enough, not flying the plane fast enough. He hasn't got me what I really wanted. Now, I don't know what your happiness is. Is it that guy? Is it that girl? Is it that pay raise? Is it, the, is it your health? Is it your, I, I, what does that happiness represent? I don't know. You know. But unless Jesus gets you there, unless it's a good marriage, kids who obey, you know, whatever it is, you'll be with Jesus in so far as he gets you closer to your real God, which is whatever represents happiness to you. It might be that body that you longed for. It might be that boyfriend or that girlfriend. It might be those fine. I don't have to labor this anymore. You get what I'm saying, right? Now, there's another God, right? And this is the other God. This is one of the, again, and I'm talking to you, New Baptist. Watch this. I am not talking to the person who you're thinking about who should be listening to this sermon. I'm talking to the person sitting in your seat. Take this personal, okay? This is, okay. So there's happiness. And then the other God is? Feelings. Everybody say it with me. Feelings. feelings. I just don't feel <laughs> like God is close to me. I don't feel feel like praying today. I don't feel like reading the Bible. Why? Because you are a great worshiper. In fact, congratulations. You are one of the best worshipers I've ever met. You dutifully obey. In fact, your husband upsets you and you don't feel like being kind or loving to him, so you do what your God, forget what the Bible says about honoring your husband, you do your feelings say. 
Your wife didn't get enough, like your food ready and, and all that other stuff. And you just, I, I mean, forget about honoring your wife and clothing her in white. And, oh, who cares about Ephesians? Ephesians 5 is like ripped out of your Bible, right? And you go, no, 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 no. I'm not going to obey God and his word and his clear directive. What I'll do is I'll obey my real God. Who's my? Feelings, yes. And you feel like giving a dollar in the basket. It's just goose bumpy. And you feel, and you feel like praising God. But the music's not that good, so now I don't feel like it. Oh, look, I love this song. Oh, I feel it again. Because feelings is your God. And Jesus, Jesus is only your God in so far as he gets you to feel. And that's why whenever you're asked by the Bible, by your pastors, by your leaders, to do something you don't feel, we already know where you're going. You're going to obey your God, your King God. And you get huggy close, and you go, oh, feelings, God. Thank you very much. Will you honor me with your presence today? Will you do this for me? Will you give? Listen, I'll be willing to sacrifice. You know what? I'm not sure if he's going to marry me. So I'll sacrifice my morals because I just want to feel loved. So I'll sleep with you, feelings, God. Oh, listen, listen, listen. The, the, the employer doesn't pay me enough. And so I don't feel appreciated, so I'll steal from my job. And then I'll feel like I'm getting compensated. Listen, listen, listen. Someone hurt me deeply, and I don't know how to respond to them. I know I'll be bitter, angry, and resentful and hold a grudge. You know why? Because my God told me to, and I'm always obedient to my. Oh, feelings, I'll do anything for you. I'll honor you. I'll give you my finances. Oh, feelings, God, just give me whatever you want. You feel like being pure today? You're pure. Not obeying Jesus. You think, oh, I'm obeying Jesus for the last two weeks because I haven't gone on the Internet and all that other stuff. It's not. You've just obeyed your feelings. And once the feelings kick up again... I know exactly where you'd be. You've been nice to your wife. You've been nice to your husband. You've been nice to your boss. You've been, but it's only because you've been dutifully obedient to your God. So Peter comes in and says, listen, you are the thing that we've been waiting for, a savior. And you are the one true living, not fake, not phony, not feelings, or happiness. No, no, no. You're not that God. You're the one true living God. Thank you, Glenda. Great job, Glenda. Listen to me. You gotta dethrone your gods. So throughout this entire series, what we're gonna do is we're going to go beyond our happiness God and our feelings God, and we're going to start to live out, live out, not talk about, not, 
not, not just kind of mentally ascend to, not just kind of agree, okay, sort of. No, no, no. Listen to me. We're going to have the one true living God. How, listen to me. Jesus, when you read the Bible, and, I just, and throughout the series, I'm going to try to get to whet your appetite. I want, I want to see if that Jesus can soak every area of your life. Because Jesus in the Old Testament, Jesus in the New Testament, Jesus is everywhere. And if you start reading the Bible with that sort of idea, then you will understand Jesus. Some of you have been in church for more years than I can count, probably more years than I've been alive. And you need to know Jesus. You're like Mary, who says, I knew no man. And what she meant was she was never intimate with any man. Obviously, she knew her father. Obviously, she knew Joseph. So she had an idea of men, but she had never known a man. And some of you are like that. You've never been intimate. Jesus has never been your all in all. In this series, and you go, but wait up, how do I do that? I'm not telling you this sermon. But wait up, how do I implement this in my life? Listen, listen, that's not the point of the sermon. The point of the sermon is just simply to introduce you to the Savior God, King Jesus, who would come for you. As we read the Old Testament throughout this series, we're going to be seeing Jesus in his splendor and speaking about it. I just wanted to give you a taste of the coming weeks. And, and, and so I just wanted, I just... Uh, I wrote these things down and I said, Jesus is the true and better Adam who passed the test and whose righteousness and obedience has been imputed into us. Listen, drawing close. Jesus is the true and better Abel who even though innocently slain that has blood uh, and has blood that cries out not for our condemnation but for our acquittal. Jesus is the true and better Abraham who answered the call of God to leave all the comfortable, all the comfort and, the, and going out into the world, into a void, not knowing where he went, to create a new people for God. Jesus is the true and better Isaac who was not just offered up to God on the mount but was truly sacrificed for us. And when God said to Abraham, now I know that you love me because you did not withhold your son, your only son from me, we can now look to God and say, now I know that you love me because you did not withhold your sacrifice of your son, your one and only true son. Jesus is the true and better Jacob who wrestled and took the blow of justice we deserved so we, like Jacob, only received wounds of grace to wake us up and discipline us. Jesus is the true and better Joseph who at the right hand of the king uses his power to forgive those who, that betrayed him and uses his power instead to save them and care for them. Jesus is the true and better Moses who stands in the gap between the people and God as the Lord mediates a new covenant. Jesus is the true and better rock of Moses who is struck with the rod of God's justice and now gives us living water that we should never thirst. Jesus is the true and better Job who truly innocent suffered and who then intercedes and saves his friends, his stupid friends. 
Jesus is the true and better David whose victory becomes his people. A victory even though they never lifted up a stone to accomplish it themselves can experience the joy of that victory. Jesus is the true and better Esther who didn't risk losing her earthly, who didn't risk losing her, his palace, but willingly lost it and ultimate li ultimately his life and heavenly palace. He didn't just risk it, but he gave his life to save his people. Jesus is the true and better Jonah who was cast out into the storm so that we can be brought back into safety. Jesus is the true, is the true and better real rock of Moses. He's the real Passover lamb. He's the innocent and perfect, helpless slain so that the angel of death can pass over us. Jesus is the true temple. He's the true prophet. He's the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true lamb, and the true light, the true bread, and the true savior of us all, Jesus. And this is how we're going to start living our lives. Oh, I have good hopes for you that we would live out that Jesus, we would live out Jesus in our lives, through our souls, in our day-to-day -day affairs, and how we relate to our spouses, and how we go to work, and when we come back, how we deal with people on the train, and how we deal with people who have hurt us, and who have done pleasant things to us, that Jesus would be our all in all, and that we would know him intimately, closely, lovingly, and that he, he would change our lives. I want to pray for you. Father, I thank you for um, the truth of your word, the word that transforms and transforms our life to glorify you. Lord, I, I pray that we would put down our idols of happiness and feelings. I pray that we would put down our idols, whether it's him or her, whether it's that or it, whether it's they or them. Lord, that we would put down our idols and confess, like Peter, that you are our Savior, and boy, do we need saving. And that you are a God. Boy, do we need direction. And we need your authority in our lives. Father, help us to long for this. Help us not to hold on to the false God that would only leave us empty. Father, I pray that you would do great things throughout this series and throughout our lives. Help us, oh God, to be all about Jesus, only about Jesus, in Jesus, walking with Jesus, knowing Jesus, asking Jesus how we should live, asking, walking, living, breathing with Jesus in every moment and every area of our lives. Would you make that so in and through our lives? For we do pray in Jesus' name, amen.